Well, if you have your Bibles, let's turn over to the uh, second chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to be reading from verses 9 through 13 there. 9 through 13. Well, far, a fire, not a far, but a fire, far. <laughs> it's like the wise men, they came, they were all firemen, they came from afar. Uh, a fire started in the grasslands close to a farm. And the county fire department rushed to the scene, but the fire was more than they could handle. Someone suggested they call the volunteer fire department despite some doubts that they would be of any assistance, and so they were called. The volunteer arrived in a dilapidated old fire truck. They rumbled straight towards the fire, drove right into the middle of the flames, and stopped. And the firefighters jumped from the truck, frantically started spraying water in all directions. Soon they'd snuffed out the the center of the fire and leaving two parts which were easily put out. And as the farmer watched all this, he was impressed and grateful that his house and farm had been spared. And he quickly got his checkbook out and donated $1,000 to the volunteer fire department. A local news reporter asked the volunteer fire captain how they'd planned to use those funds. The captain said, well, the first thing we're going to do is get the brakes fixed on this fire truck. Now <laughs> you don't get it, though. <laughs> <laughs> they drove into the fire. They couldn't stop. That's what the idea was. <laughs> if I got to start explaining these to you, we're in trouble now. So, well, all right. Let me let me read this. And I, I you know, and, and the Lord has just in the last month or two put things on my heart that He will not let me rest on. And so, as a result of that, we'll probably get into a little bit of that tonight. And so, if we could. Um, but listen to what it says in starting with verse 9 of 1 Corinthians. That's where we are. We're going to go 9 through 13. He says, But it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. But God has revealed to them through uh, to, uh, them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit of searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what a man knows, the things of a man, except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but with the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for how you love us and care for us. And Lord, we ask you, and you know, I think about what you tell us over in Luke 11, when you tell us, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Lord, I pray that you would just work in our hearts and our souls and minds and bring these things to fruitation. Uh, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. You're our strength, you're our redemption, you're everything. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be with us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in verses 9 and 10, he tells us simply this. He says, I has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has entered in the heart of man the things that God has in store for them that love him. And then he goes on to verse 10, and he says, But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit, Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God how then do we gain spiritual wisdom and that's a wisdom that is beyond this earth in other words it's a wisdom 
that when I'm trying to determine which way to go, when I'm trying to determine whether I should go into debt on something, when I'm trying to determine who I'm going to marry, who I'm determine, uh, you know, wh- whether or not I should take this job or not, when I'm determined which way the Lord in a ministry or something the Lord wants me to go, whether or not to build a church or whether or not to do other things. That, and that's, you don't want to do this by man's wisdom. You want spiritual wisdom. That God would lead you. God would anoint you in such a way that you know that you know that you know what God's wanting you to do. Spiritual wisdom is gained or made possible by means of the personalized work of God in due time. Let me say it again. Spiritual wisdom is gained or made possible by means of the personalized work of God in due time. And, and that's it, that we have to wait on him sometimes. The Apostle Paul quotes from the prophet Isaiah 64, and that's what this is where this comes from, I has not seen. That for those who love the Lord, he's able to make known to them. Let me get this across to you. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying to us that for those who love the Lord, he is able to make known to them the things that no eye has seen, or ear heard, nor human heart has conceived. God's able to do that. He will speak to you if we only will listen. This verse is not a reference to heaven, though. This is not. And I, and I know I've, I've used it in funerals to myself. But to God's work in the life of the believer. Now, if I take that and I go back to that, then what is God saying? He's saying simply that for those who love God, He's going to make known to them that, that things that... We can't see in this world that eyes not seen, ear heard, nor even in the heart of man. And we say, what in the world can we do that? I, I remember in the Old Testament, there was a time that, that they were trying to determine, that the enemy of God was trying to determine, and he thought, he said, we've got somebody in here that's telling everybody what's going on. He said, no, that's not it. He said, the prophet who is, he can hear everything you're saying and is from God and is telling us what to do. Or telling his men what to do. So, so this verse is not a reference to heaven. Okay? Now, I, I know that when we get to heaven one of these days, it's going to be unbelievable. When, when, how heaven is going to be set up, the colors and everything else is going to be unbelievable. The Bible even tells us there's going to be a rainbow uh, over to the throne of God. And the rainbow is basically, it's not going to be a rainbow like we see today. I think. It's going to be a rainbow of green all around it which that's the blessings of God. And so the verse is not a reference to heaven. What Paul is saying is that the Lord can help us if we'll let him, those who belong to him, to understand things that they could not or cannot learn through natural means. How does he do this? Well, verse 10 tells us. How does he do this? But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spiritual searches, through spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. He reveals those things to us by the Holy Spirit illuminating things to us. The Lord has revealed to us His inspired Word. Now, when he's, he, he was revealed to us in His inspired Word, well, what do you mean? I, and I, You know, many times you've, you've, I've told you about when we got that house at the other place, uh, when we were at the other building, and how that when we came out of that one building, and the guy wanted $900 a month, and 
And, and, you know, one of the things the Bible tells us over in Philippians 4, it tells us simply that the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and soul. Uh, and that's what the Holy Spirit will do. He'll either give you peace in a matter that you're praying about or he will, he will give you consternation in it or that you don't want to go ahead and do those things. And we didn't have peace in it and we stopped and we said, no, we're not going to do it. And two weeks later, we got a whole house for free where we could have been spending over $10,000 a year in that. That's what I'm saying. God wants to reveal things in your life, in your, in your business, or whatever it is that you're looking at. He wants to reveal things to you to show you things that you know not of. And so the Lord, through His inspired Word, we still need illumination, or what is called a rhema, when God takes His Word and makes it personal to you. The Bible tells us that we have an anchor in, in, uh, in the book of Hebrews. It tells us we have an anchor in the Lord and that anchor that we hang on to and as an anchor. But God will take the, the Word of God and when He pulls a verse off, He wants to speak through us through the Word. And that's what the third, uh, the, the second verse of Hebrews chapter 1 says, that God in these last days has spoken through His Son. Well, how does He speak through His Son? He speaks through His Son through the Word of God. But how does, he get to, how does He transfer the Word of God to us? By the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. And remember something. What did Jesus say? He said, I will send you another comforter. And when He said, I'll send you another comforter, what will that comforter do when He comes? He will bring all things to your remembrance. He'll teach you all things. And He will remind us of Jesus is what He says. And so it's the illumination of the Holy Spirit in our life. The Lord has revealed to us His inspired Word. But understand, this is the work of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God within the mind of the Christian that causes him to supernaturally learn, understand, and then apply the things of God in their life. See, see what we've got to get away from, we've got to get away from, okay, I come to Jesus, and I, I, know, I'm, I know I'm lost, and I, need, and I need to be saved. And so that's what I do. I come to Christ, and he saves me. Listen, that's only the first step. It's a great step. It's a wonderful thing to be know that you're saved and, and to know that you're going to heaven. But guys, God's got so much more for you. And, and we, 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 uh, that's only the tip of the iceberg. Yes, Jesus went to Calvary. And yes, Jesus died for us so that we could be saved. But let me tell you something. He's got so much more for you that he wants to reveal to you. He wants an intimacy that you can never have anyplace else. It is the voice of God through the Word by means of the Holy Spirit becoming personalized to you. He wants to speak to you. Now, people ask me sometimes, say, well, do you hear a voice? No, I don't hear a voice. But I'm going to tell you something. I know when He's speaking to me. I know when inside that I feel His presence and He's directing me or telling me which way to go or what to do or when not to do something. I understand that. Illumination does not involve though new revelation. Now, so many people come up, they want to talk about, well, I really believe that God's telling. No, that's not what it is. He's talking, I believe that everything that we need is really found in this book. He doesn't need it to give us some kind of new revelation. But what we need is illumination. The Holy Spirit wants to illuminate the Word of God that show us the deep things of the Word. And God says, I will show you things that you know not of. That's not what we're, we're talking about. Rather, it involves God giving a believer understanding of the meaning and the application of Scripture in the midst of that person's own experiences. He will use you. He, he works with you individually. Because the members at Corinth were not allowing the Holy Spirit and trusting in the Lord, they were operating on human wisdom. 
Now remember that Paul had been in Ephesus, or he had been in Corinth when he established the church for a year and a half. He now moves on to Ephesus. He's been in Ephesus almost three and a half, three and a half years. And then this letter comes to him telling him something, written by a guy by the name of Cloopus, that wrote him a letter saying, we got problems down here. And what's the problem? You had nobody that was allowing the Holy Spirit to show them which way it will go. Is that, not what, is that not what we know in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 when it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And what does He say He will do? He will direct their path. Nobody was allowing the Holy Spirit to come in and direct their path. They were having with splits and this and that and all kinds of stuff. And that's exactly where things get started in other churches the same way. So the Holy Spirit trusts the Lord. They're operating in human wisdom, and thus it was producing all kinds of divisions in the church. When we rely on the Holy Spirit, and that means we got to wait on Him sometime, He will introduce God's children to something beyond their ability to see or hear or imagine the glories of God. That's what He'll do. Notice who He, he says the Holy Spirit reveals these things to. He reveals it to who in verse 9. Look at verse 9. What does it say? It says in verse 9, Look at that last part. The things which God has prepared for those, what? Who love him. If we love him, then he will reveal those things to him. How do we demonstrate that we love him? Well, John 14, 5 says, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. We're not perfect. We still do things wrong. We still mess up. But by the same token, we ought to be an attempt in our life. We understand that keeping his commandments will not save us. People still believe that. You know, they, people say, I'll I live by the Ten Commandments. Well, what the, because they think that by doing that, they're going to heaven. No, you won't. No, you won't. You won't go. Because nobody, there's none. There, there's, the Bible says this in, in 3.20, Romans 3.20. By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. So God's saying that's not the way. And there's a way which seems right to a man, but the end leads to destruction. No, he's not saying that. It's, it's by his grace and his grace alone. Uh, and And... That we do that. But here's what we got to understand. That keeping his commandments will not save us. But the keeping of the commandments is a demonstration that or proof that we're saved. Listen, if you say you belong to Jesus, there ought to be some, people ought to be able to look at your life and see some kind of evidence that Christ has done something inside you. I mean, they ought to see that. I mean, if they ought to see that you love other people. That you do about one of the things the Bible tells us. That was one of the reasons we know we're saved because we love the brethren, loving church, and loving things of the word and other things like this. But there ought to be fruits. Jesus said, "By their fruits you'll know them." There ought to be something in our life that shows that we're His. Jesus said, "By their fruits you'll know them." Not everyone who says they're saved are saved. We're saved by the gift of grace, not by works, but there should be some evidence out there in our life that has, we've had a change in our life. God's truth is not discoverable by ear or by eye, nor is it discovered by mind. It just won't happen. You've got to discover those who, and, and think about this, those who wrote the Bible, the revelation and illumination of God's Word that was given to those who wrote it. And, and, and Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy and says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness. And that's the entire Bible. 
The same inspiration and illumination is given to every believer when they ask for the Holy Spirit to illuminate the Scriptures. People will say to me many times, they'll say, I'm having a hard time understanding the Bible. Well, let me ask you something. This, is, this book is alive. It's a living book. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's living. And as it's, it's living, uh, and as a result of that, you know, for you to be able to understand it, uh, you know, because I, I, you know, that, you know, have you asked, do you ask when you get ready to read something, what's your devotionals, whatever, do you ask the Holy Spirit to help you to understand what you're about to read? Do you ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate the scriptures for you so that you can comprehend it? Because that's what he's, he's here for. He's the greatest teacher that anybody could have, a personalized teacher. And if you'll ask him, Lord, I'm fixing to, I'm fixing to read uh, the book of Romans, or I'm fixing to read John, or whatever it is. Lord, will you help me with the Holy Spirit? Will you come and show me things that I don't know? And did he promise us and say, I will show you things that you know not of? I believe that every time we open the word, before we read the first word, we should say, Holy Spirit, illuminate this word for me that I might understand what I'm reading. Remember in Matthew 12, when the Pharisees, and other Pharisees, they don't see, and then you had the Sadducees who were sad to see, because they, and they who don't believe in the resurrection when they did that, the Pharisees accused Jesus of healing a man who was demon-possessed by the power of the devil. One of the questions is just common sense that Jesus asked them. Says, can a, he says, can, a, can Satan cast out Satan? No. But it is at this point, this is in chapter 12 and chapter 13 of the book of Matthew, and it's at this point that Jesus stops his public ministry. No longer does he speak to great crowds and things. And, 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 and then he begins to teach in parables. So the disciples come to him and they say to him, Lord, why do you teach us in parables? And listen to what he says, Matthew 13, 11. He answered and said to them, because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Not everybody's going to understand it. Not everybody's going to know it. It's only as the Holy Spirit comes and lets you see and know this. I've had people say to me, well, I have, I've read the Bible, but I really didn't get anything out of it. Really have. I've had people joke about reading the Bible. I had... One young man that said to me one time, well, she said, y'all study the Bible. looks like to me, if you read it, why don't you all know it? And then he laughed about it. The question is, here's the question. The question is, you know, uh, why didn't they get anything out of it? Or why did they not, the Bible, speak to them? Because look what it says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness to him. And why are they foolishness to him? They cannot know them because they're spiritually discerned. They cannot know what's happening. They just can't know. They can't know because they don't have the equipment inside to be able to know through the person and the power of the Holy Spirit to discern for them. It's the only way you can know this thing. You can have an intellectual knowledge of the Bible, but you cannot understand it and you can't know it until the Holy Spirit comes in and illuminates to you. I had, a, I had a woman one time, we were over here, I was doing a devotional over here when we were feeding over in the trailers. And this lady, she got really upset with me because I said to her, I said simply that 1 John 1, 9 is only for Christians. And I believe that. 
What do you mean, Lee? It's only because what does First John one nine say? If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive all. You know, He's faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And I said that's only for Christians, and it is. Well, I, what do you mean, Lee? Listen, you can go out in any field you want to and say, oh, and confess all the sins from here to, to Bangladesh or whatever, you know, and it's not going to do you any good. The only way that 1 John 1, 9 works is when we come to Christ and we, and we give him our heart and soul, then as a result of that, from that point on, we as his children have the privilege of when we mess up to come to him and say, Father, will you forgive me? If it was just confession, then we don't need to come to God. That Jesus didn't need to come. But you got to have Christ inside and got to have the Holy Spirit inside in order for this to happen. You know, so uh, the question is why didn't they get anything out of it or why did not the Bible speak to them? Because a natural man. Neither can they know these things because they're spiritually discerned. If the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in you, you will not understand the Word of God. Let me say it again. If the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in you, you will not know the word of God. God also says, cast not your pearls before the swine. I'm not going to enter into a discussion. Now, you know, we talk about many times how we need to stand up to people, and we do. But I'm not going to enter into a discussion with any person I feel is not sincere and will treat the word of God with disgust. I'm not going to let them take what I really believe is the greatest thing that ever happened to me and make light of it. 1 Corinthians 2.10, look what it says. It, it goes on to say, he says simply, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. Who's us? That's you and me. God has revealed the things he wants us to know through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Now, too many times, like verse 9, verse 9, which it says, I have not seen, ear heard, or, or entered in the heart of man. Too many times, verse 9 has gone to too many funerals. But this is not talking about a funeral. It's, listen, church, it's talking about in the now. Let me say it again. Verse 9, the eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, or has entered in the heart of man what God has revealed for him, uh, that, that love him. Listen, this is talking about now. God wants to reveal those things to you now. Paul's not talking about the future in heaven. The Apostle Paul is saying that right here, now, there are certain things the eyes has not seen, ears not heard, neither entered in the heart of reasoning or thinking. There are things in God's kingdom that cannot be obtained by human means. But how does God reveal them to us? Verse 10, it can't come through eye, ear, or figure, out, or out, or figure it out mentally, or having an um, uh, uh, intellectual assent to things. But it has to come through one way, the Spirit and the person of God. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not an it. It's a person. He's a person, the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit can teach us, and he will too. If we ask him, I think the majority of Christians have never asked him to do it. You know, one of the things that evolutionists and atheists have done is to say, if you cannot see it, it cannot exist. But science has disproved that with the human cell. Parts of the cell that cannot be seen by the naked eye that have not yet figured out what that, or even their function is. They found all kinds of different uh, uh, machinery and instruments inside those cells and they can't figure out what it's, what it's there for. But God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. The Bible talks about mysteries. Now what's a mystery? Mysteries are things that was, that was talked about in the Old Testament 
but was not revealed what they really were until the New Testament. For instance, do you realize that in the Old Testament, church is not mentioned in the Old Testament? Realize that the word rapture was not mentioned in the Old Testament. Uh, but it, and, so, and, and so think about this. Paul says this over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14. He's, he's, talking about, he's, he's talking about the Jewish people here. And I really... And can, can you back that up just a little bit and go to 13 too with that? Uh, yeah, 13 if you can. First, uh, Second 2 Corinthians 3, 13. He says, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face. Now, why did they have to put a veil over Moses' face? Moses comes down the mountain. He's got the Ten Commandments and they have to cover his face. Why did they have to cover his face? Because people were running from him. They were scared to death of him. Why did they run from Moses? Because he had the law in his arms. And what does the law do? The law reveals every inch and everything about us that's not, that we know that we really, not have, really want to have it revealed. And so they put a veil over his face so they could not see, for the sake of them, that they could not see uh, the, 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 uh, the Spirit of God passing away. Now, he goes on in verse 13, but he, but he says, but in their minds were blinded for until this day, and this is the Jewish people, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. In other words, every Sabbath, which is Saturday, it's not Sunday, you say, well, then why in the world do we worship on Sunday and not on Saturday, which is the Sabbath? Because, one, Jesus rose from when? There's three things. Jesus rose from the dead when? On Sunday. Uh, the, the early church met when? They broke bread when? On the first day of the week, which is Sunday. What's the other thing about it? Because we're in, the, we're in the dispensation of grace, and we're no longer under the dispensation of works. What does that mean? It means before, you, you, what, what did you do? You worked, 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 and then you rested. God worked for six days, and he rested on the seventh day. What do we do now? We rest on the, on the what? The first day of the week, and then we work, we work, work, work after that. It changed everything because we're saved by grace and not no longer by, uh, by works. But so he goes on here. He says, for this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. It's taken away. Now, and, and there's a great verse of Scripture also, and I'll share this with you in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 3, and it says, uh, listen to this, verse 16. It says, nevertheless, this is chapter 3, verse 16, if you want to put it up there. Yeah, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. When one turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. Well, what does that mean? Well, you know, it looks like to me, okay, Lord, take away the veil and let me comprehend and let me understand things, and then I will turn to the Lord. And the Lord said, nope, that's not how I do it. How's he do it? He says, you turn to me first, and I'll show you things you know not of. You turn to me first, you come to me first, and then I will take away the veil. It's interesting to me that the same thing, you know, everybody worries about Moses, that he didn't get to go, he didn't get to go to the, uh, uh, he didn't get to go to the promised land, but he really did. Because you look at the transfiguration. Who was standing there with Elijah when Jesus was transfigured and the glory came down and Jesus, his remnant and everything was changed and he's standing there, Peter, James, and John there. And, and so they looked and there stands Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration along with Elijah. And 
And of course, you know, what Peter does, he's got to put his foot in his mouth. He spoke up and he said, it's good we're here. He said, I'll make, let's, let me make a, a tabernacle or a, a, a building, one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus. And that's when the cloud came down. Why did the cloud come down? To protect them because nobody's ever seen God and live. And the cloud comes down and then what happens? God's voice says, this is my beloved son. Second time he said that he, it was his son. You know, I don't know why people cannot believe in a trinity because if you look at if you look at when Jesus was baptized who did you have there you had God the father Jesus being baptized God the son the God, the, the bible says that the spirit of God descended like a dove that was the holy spirit <coughs> and the voice of God that said this is that was the father this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased so there you got God the father God the son God the holy spirit all together now so so Peter speaks up and says, you know, so it's good that we're here. Let me make one a hut for one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus. And God comes down, he stops that real quick. He says, this is my son, you hear him. What does he mean? In other words, what, what was Peter saying? Well, there been a church of Moses, there been a church of Elijah, and a church of Jesus. No, Jesus is predominant. He is preeminent. He is everything. And God's not going to let anybody take anything away from his precious son. But, but so it says, nevertheless... When one turns the Lord, the veil is taken away. Go back to 13 just a minute because think about this. It's, uh, it says, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadfast at the end of what was passing away. And so, uh, so what is this saying to us? It's saying to us simply this. It's saying that these people are still veiled. They don't see. They don't see, uh, they don't see what, that, that Jesus was the Messiah is what they don't see. And by the way, also, when you look at the transfiguration, when Jesus came down off the mountain, what happened? The people did what? They ran to him. That's the grace of God. Fifty days, you know, you go 50 days from the time that they left Egypt to the, uh, Pentecost, and when they did, when they, when they offered, and the law was given, what happened? 3,000 people died. When you go from Pentecost, when you go from Jesus being crucified, and you go to the day of, uh, the day of uh, um, Pentecost, what happens? 3,000 people get saved. Actually, there's more than that, three and then five. So, so he, he, he's telling us the veil has been taken away. But in verse 11, Paul goes on, and he uses common sense. What's he saying? He, he said, listen to what he says in verse 11. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him, even so no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Well, what Paul, he's saying here, he said, listen, no one knows my thoughts better than I do. In the same ways, then no one knows the thoughts of God except the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God does. And this is something that I wish we would come to the realization that we're dependent upon the Spirit to enable us to make a spiritual connection with God. It's by His Spirit. That's why Jesus looked at Nicodemus and said to him, except a man be born of the water and the Spirit, he can't enter into the kingdom of heaven. When this happens, the Lord illuminates His Word so that it becomes relevant to specific circumstances. You ever had that happen? You're working, you're doing something going along, you're, you're trying to get through it, and all of a sudden the Lord just comes and and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you. And when he does, he shows you things that you, you, you say, man, that, that's what I need to do here. And he, he reveals that to you, what he wants to do. Um, uh, he enables us to make a spiritual connection with God. When this happens, the Lord illuminates his word so that it becomes relevant in specific circumstances. Then we begin to see why things are happening the way they are. Well, in verses 12 through 13 also, uh, 
in 12 and 13, he goes on to say, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that we have been freely given to us by God. God wants, now look at this verse, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. You know, we're, we're like a bunch of guys that, that uh, I heard a story one time of a little lady that, that was on a trip, uh, on a cruise, you know, going across the, the Atlantic Ocean. And so she, every day she would come out, and she would come out on the deck, and what she would do, she would bring some cheese and some crackers, and she would sit out there and eat cheese and crackers every day. And so they're almost to the last day of the trip, and she comes out, and, and uh, all these people have these huge meals and everything, sitting around eating all these meals, and she's eating cheese and crackers. And one of the stewards passed by, and she said, excuse me, says, can I ask you a question? He said, well, sure. He says, what, she says, what does that cost? All those meals these people eat, and the food they have. So what does that cost on this trip? He said, honey, he said, that was part of your trip. That was all part of you. You, you know, you didn't have to bring any food. We were going to serve you all the way through. And that's where Christians are. Christians, many times, God wants you to pull up to the table and have a full dose. But what do we do? We want to just nitpick and pick around at our food and everything else rather than getting the things that we need to have. And so he says, now we receive not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. That's one of the things the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to you. The things that are freely given to you. By God. And then he goes on to verse 13. These things which we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but what the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things uh, unto a spiritual. Now, so in, in the Apostle Paul's illustration about only the Holy Spirit knows the mind of God, he says that no other person knows another thought similarly because the Holy Spirit is fully God and Holy Spirit understands the thoughts and the wisdom of God. Therefore, he, the Holy Spirit, is able to lead believers in the truth of God. An unbeliever can study the scriptures and learn certain facts, but the Almighty, but only through the illumination of the Holy Spirit, does a true understanding come. Only through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does this freely, and he wants the desires to be your teacher. Oh, let me say that again. The Holy Spirit wants to be your teacher. And when somebody says, well, I just don't, I, can, I have such a hard time trying. Let's go to him. So our preaching and teaching the things that we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but in the words we teach should be an illumination of and by the Holy Spirit. What's the Lord saying to us? Here's the same thing he taught over in John 15. Look what he says in John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the wine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean, because Jesus already paid for it, but, uh, because of the word which I've spoken to you. Uh, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5. And I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Did Jesus mean that? If that's it, that we're totally dependent upon him? 
If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they're burnt. Uh, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall, it shall be done unto you. In verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you'll be my disciples. And, and you know, when you read that over in 15, there are people that bear fruit. There are people that bear more fruit. And there are people that will bear much fruit. Let me say it again. <laughs> that he said, He's teaching us that there are Christian people that bear fruit. There are other Christians that will bear more fruit. And there are other Christians that will bear much fruit. So which do you want? You want the whole ball of wax? Huh? Is that what you want? You want the whole enchilada, as somebody says? You know, which is it? And Jesus even teaches that in the sore. He talks about how somebody, some people bear 30%, some people will bear 40 or 50%, some people will bear, will bear 80, 90%. Why is it that some people bear fruit and other Because as absolute, it's not that they work harder than anybody. No, it's their dependence upon Jesus Christ and allowing the Holy Spirit to illuminate things in their life. So, our preaching and teaching things we speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches. So what conclusion do we draw from all this? Here's what I get out of this. How much time have I got? I got 10 minutes. No, I don't have it. I got 10 minutes. So what conclusion do we draw? Without the, here's, what I, here's what I want you to get. Without the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life, we cannot do anything for the kingdom of God. We just can't. There has to be an absolute dependence on the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. And the Lord has told us over and over again. And that's why so many start out for the kingdom. But where are they today? How many of us know people that started out for the kingdom? Boy, they're on fire again. I mean, they would do double backflips down the middle aisle. But now you can't even find them. Why is that? I'll tell you exactly why it is. Because they don't understand this. Because they started drifting. They quit depending upon the Lord and His Word and prayer and in and, and church and other things. And as a result of that, uh, you know, they didn't understand this. In other words, what happens? They pooped out. Because they got in their head and thought that the answer to all this was simply this. And that was that if, if I, you know, I've got to, and, and they love to quote that verse in the Bible that says, God helps those that help themselves. Where's that? That's in the book of what? Do the Bobbity or where is it? That's not in the Bible. It's not in the Word. There's no such verse in the Bible that says God helps those that help themselves. In fact, he'd like for you to get out of his way. Now, so, so, so why is it that so many start? Because they poop out. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 tells us, that, listen to this. Here, here you are, you come to Christ. So he, God places his Holy Spirit inside of you, are born again. He says you have this treasure in earthen vessels. Watch your earthen vessel. This is it right here. You know? One verse of Scripture actually tells me as my, my outside, my, my vessel gets older and older and older, yet I get renewed and renewed inside. I don't feel, I don't feel like I'm 74 years old. 
I really don't. I feel like I'm younger than that. But now my Bible don't, I mean my, my, my body doesn't tell me that. My body tells me, oh Lord, you know, whatever. You're getting out of bed and trying to do all the things, you know. And, and you get to the place that when you drop something, you, you go down and you start looking for anything else down there so you don't have to go down there twice, you know. But, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. This earthen vessel is getting older. But what's the treasure? The treasure is God placed the magnificent, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent uh, Holy Spirit inside you. And why did he do that? So that the power may be of God, not of us. God's not going to share his glory with any of us. He's just not going to do it. They don't understand Romans 7 and 8. Romans 7, because of Romans 7, I said this this morning, but Romans 7, you know, 41 times Paul uses I and me, and, and, you know, that's what he does. It's all about him, and this is why he says the things I know I should do, I don't do, and the things I know I should not do, I end up doing those things. And that leads straight into the fact that he finally comes to the place, he says, who shall deliver me to this body of blood guiltiness? And when he does that, he says that, who shall deliver me from this body of blood guiltiness? What's he saying? He's saying simply, who will do this? And he comes up with the next verse, and the next verse, the last verse of chapter 7 of, of, of Romans, it says this, it says, I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. That's what he does. In other words, Jesus has done this for you. Now, the problem Paul tells us about in Romans 7, he uses those pronouns 42 times, but in chapter 8 now, there's now no more condemnation of those in Christ. 22 times he uses the word spirit. Just reading those two verses ought to tell us, okay, what do I need to do? I need to learn how to walk in the spirit. You know? And, and you know, in chapter 7 of Romans, in chapter 7 of Romans, he, he, he's, he's saying, you know, I can't do this, and I can't do this. And he says, for what I'm doing, I do not understand for what I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me all this? But then in chapter 8, here's what he says. Listen to this in verse, verse, 30, uh, verse 37 through 39 in Romans. He says, yet in all these things, listen to this. What, what's the difference here? What's the difference from chapter 7 to chapter 8? Here it is. Yet in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. He goes on to 38. For I'm persuaded. Listen to this. There are neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, uh, nor uh, height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That somebody's got some confidence. What's the difference? The Holy Spirit is the difference. It's the realization of what Jesus has done inside you. You know, uh, he says, I'm more than a conqueror in chapter 8. The difference is a dependency upon the Holy Spirit. I have a decision to make, and I go to him, and I invite the Holy Spirit to lead me in the right decision is what I do. I feel down. I'm sort of depressed. I go to the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to lead me in the scripture that will lift my spirits and commit my life to his control. I start my day by telling the Holy Spirit that he is in control of my life, so lead me in the right direction and keep me from temptation. 
I have to be around or meet with someone who seems to be negative and gripes all the time about everything and easily upset. I go to the Holy Spirit and it, turn, it turns this person over to Him. And I have a good meeting. My spouse seems distant and uncaring. And I, I go to the Lord and I ask the Holy Spirit to help to be deal with them in a loving way. Help me to deal with them in a loving way. How do you stay out of trouble? Galatians 5.16 I say then walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of flesh. Walk in the Spirit. How do you, how do you get there? Well, Ephesians 5.18, what does that say? Ephesians 5.18 says, Be not drunk with wine for his excess, but be what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. But you say, but Lee, I got this warfare going on inside me. Yep, we all do. But when you turn and learn to depend upon the Holy Spirit, and the, here's, what, here's what begins to happen. Look what it says. And I don't even think I got that down there. What, uh, uh, for Galatians 5.17. Look at, is that, yeah. No, yeah, 5.17. Listen to this. Listen to this. Here we go. Now, and I probably did this before, but that's okay. Good teachers repeat yourself. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit's against the flesh. And we know that, okay? And these are contrary to one another. And boy, we got this, we got this big warfare going on inside. Well, look what it says. So that you... You do not do the things that you wish. Well, how does that happen? So that I don't have to end up screwing up. I don't end up doing sin and doing all the other things I shouldn't do. Because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. How in the world could we get the, the devil doesn't want you to know this? How does the Lord do this? Here's how he does it. He increases your awareness of your need. See, that's the problem most, most of us have. What? We don't think we need him. Well, we don't think we need him in raising our children. We don't think we need him in our finances. We don't think we need him in, in, in just walking with him. We don't think we need him. As he increases the awareness of that need in us, the more that we come and we run to the Holy Spirit and we say, Lord Jesus, please help me. And the Holy Spirit comes to us and he revives that in us. You know what I'm really talking about here? I know some of you are looking at your watches right now, but here. It's a difference. Here's the difference. It's a difference in a life of trying. And I hear that a lot. People say this. They say, well, I, I've tried to live a good life. i try to do this. i try to keep the... i try to read the Bible. i try to... The difference is in trying and trusting. Let that sink in a minute. Are you trying? Are you trusting? Because if you're trusting, that means many times you've got to do what it says over in Isaiah chapter 40. I don't even know what I don't have to think I I don't think I gave that to you. In Isaiah chapter in Isaiah chapter 40, where it, where it says this on those last verses of Isaiah 40. Uh, let me see here. Uh, I'll give it to you here in a minute. Okay, well, all right. 40, verse 31. Listen to this. Those who wait on the Lord <coughs> shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those who wait on the Lord. If you're waiting on the Lord, what does that mean? That means you're trusting rather than trying. There's a key. And is that not what Jesus says to us? Come to me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. 
And the result, the result is in Galatians 5.17, where that you know, you, he, he, that you do not do the things that you wish. He'll keep you from those things. But who's doing it? The Holy Spirit's doing it. Is it you against the flesh or the Holy Spirit who has all the power of God on his side where you cannot do the things that you wish? You cannot do the things that the flesh is trying to drag you into. So God examines you that what he's hoping for you, what is his hope for your life? Christ in you is the hope of glory. Let me close this way. And I'm closing, really. I went and I pulled something from my files because this was a story of D.L. Moody. You know, D.L. Moody was a guy that only had about a second or third grade education and he spoke to millions of people. You know, you, you go back and you study D.L. Moody and he, um, uh, and D.L. Moody had a profound effect upon, he was the first person to ever start Sunday schools, for one thing. But D.L. Moody also had a profound effect on a man by the name of Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday had a, a uh, an effect upon uh, what, what, his last name was Ham. Um, I can't think of his first name. Anyway, Ham, and there was a group of a group of farmers in North Carolina that began to pray for a revival, and they prayed for a revival, and they prayed for a revival that said they they wanted this revival to touch the world. Now, this is how the world. This is how the Holy Spirit works, and how how God works. You think about it. Here's a group of farmers, just a bunch of farmers in North Carolina, and they say, we want to have a revival that will touch the world. And some people go, well, you'll touch the world. How's that going to touch the world? They, they hired this ham guy, Mordecai, thank you. Who, who told me that? Was it, who was that said that knew that? Oh, my wife. Mm. <laughs> okay. Now, Mordecai Ham. And he's a big, tall, skinny fellow, had real skinny fingers. And so he would come and he would preach and he'd point that finger at people like this. And there was a young man sitting out in the, in the crowd. And he was pointing the fingers at him. And he was so, got so under conviction that the next night he went and got in the choir. <laughs> so, I'm serious. Got in the choir so he couldn't point his finger at him. But it was in that service that he came to know Christ as his Lord and Savior. And who was that? Billy Graham. And they prayed, Lord, take this, the Spirit of God, around the world. May not do it the way they thought he was going to do it, but they did it another way, didn't they? But Moody was the start of that. And D.L. Moody, someone said, said, the world has yet to see a man who will so utterly turn his life over to God as to what God can do. Moody heard that. He said, Lord, let that be me. Deal Moody, he says, I remember two holy women who used to come to my meetings. It was delightful to see them in the congregation. When I began to preach, I could tell by the expression on their faces that they were praying for me. At the close of the Sunday evening service, they would say to me, we've been praying for you, and said, why don't you pray for the people, I said. And they answered, you need power. He said, I need power. I said to myself, why? I thought I had power. I had a large Sunday school, the largest congregation in Chicago, there was, which the Moody Institute came out of. There, there were some conversions at that time. I was, in a sense, satisfied, but right along, these two godly women kept praying for me, and their earnest talk about being anointed for special service set me thinking. 
So I asked them to come and talk with me. And we got down on our knees and they poured out their hearts that I might receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And there were great hunger into my, and produced a great hunger into my soul. I did not know what it was. I began to pray as I never had before. I really felt that I did not want to live if I could not have this power for service. The hunger increased. I was praying all the time that God would fill me with the Holy Spirit. Well, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it. It is almost too sacred an experience to name. Paul had an experience of which he never spoke of, which for 14 years. I can only say that God revealed himself to me, and I had such an experience of his love that I asked him to stay his hand. I went to preaching again. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. I would, not know, be, I would not now be placed back where I was before. That blessed experience, if you gave me all of Glasgow, it would be a small dust in the balance. That's what the difference is. I'm telling you, I, I, I love that verse over, and, and I, and you know, what people have done, you know, some people say, well, you got to talk in tongues if you, listen, I, I just, I, I think we, what we've done, we've made it so complex, and we've made it so hard that, that as a result of that, uh, you know, we just don't, um, um, it, 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 it turns people away but I think about this one verse over in Luke 11 verse 13 if you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him he will give it to you sometimes I think what we need to do is on this altar is just have people crying out to God just saying Lord fill me with your presence he tells as almost as a command in Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what we need, guys. I'm just saying to you. And I hope and pray that this is only the beginning. It just seems like for a month now, the Lord has just been dealing with me and dealing with me and dealing with me in this certain area. We're going to have a verse of invitation now. If you, for whatever need you have in your life.